Fitzroy Basin Association is the natural resource management body for central Queensland. We live and work alongside the largest river system draining into the Great Barrier Reef. Our communities are acutely aware of the impact we have upon our catchment and, in turn, how the catchment impacts upon our livelihoods and well-being. FBA brings you the second season of our podcast series, The Ripple Effect. In this season, we speak to landholders across the Fitzroy region and some prominent industry leaders who have worked here, aligned with FBA's philosophy of finding solutions to some of agriculture's most pressing issues. In this episode of The Ripple Effect, we explore the agricultural industry's adaption to market and climate changes. It's a common philosophy that the most difficult thing for landholders to change in land management is their attitude. Coupled with a crippling drought, rapid technological advances and a higher global demand, change can be daunting. However, a forward-thinking approach is becoming the greatest armour for landholders who want to protect their livelihoods enhance natural capital and boost the resilience and response of their crops and pasture throughout dry and wet spells. One man who is helping support landholders throughout the journey of practice change is the co-director of Regenag, Kim Cruz. Kim has been working with FBA for several years now, delivering information to landholders in innovative ways. Regenerative agriculture wasn't really a thing a decade ago and we... We're working more in the urban, peri-urban space with a background in permaculture design. Our interest is always in broadacre and we really recognise the need for education within the, within the regenerative agriculture space, even though it wasn't really called that at that time. We could see the real need for education within, let's call it the alternative, quote-unquote, agricultural methodology. We've had a really interesting view of that sort of thing with our business over the last, you know, nine, ten years is in that when we first began, it was very much a marginal thing and you'd run a course of 30 or 40 people and 90, 95% of them would be alternative, organic, biodynamic people. The one conventional farmer was in there who, for whatever reason, it was either financially driven or health driven. And those things are still true had decided to come along and look at something different and now there's been a real change. So you run an event on soil health and there's 150 people arrive and mm. uh, you know, a lot of them are conventional farmers. That's the sort of client that we end up seeing and working with are those people who are thinking differently, uh, that's a little bit innovative, recognise, I guess the first step is recognising that there is actually a problem to begin with and then once they've recognised that there's an issue, whether that's productivity or soil, health or cost of production, then they go looking for answers and that's when they come across like companies like ourselves and us in particular in then being able to help them reduce their cost of production, improve their soil health and plant nutrition by manufacturing their own input and having a better understanding about how to go about achieving soil health and plant nutrition outcomes. Yeah, I still think that's the biggest missing link is that, and it always has been, is that disconnect between the between the urban dweller who's consuming food three times a day and the farmer who goes to all the effort, runs all the risk in producing it, mm. and then is a price receiver the vast majority of the time, mm. and has to deal with this currently what we're living through, this changing climate, and 
trying to build resilience into their farming practices and the like. I think there was only a generation or two ago that pretty much everyone knew a farmer or an auntie or an uncle or had some relationship. But as our good friend Joel Fallacon always says, that I think very much now people have become disconnected from that ecological umbilical cord, if you like. Mm. And so I think that is a massive gap in understanding of what farmers actually have to go through to get food on the table for people. So I always say to farmers that you've got to be in the black before you can be green. If we're focusing on soil health, giving better water holding capacity, better nutrient cycling, better plant health, less pest and disease issues, which all of those things come about as a result of practices that enhance the soil's overall health and the amount of carbon that it holds in those soils, well, just by virtue of all those outcomes, farming's going to be more profitable because you won't need to use as much fertilizer. You won't need to be in damage control knocking out pests. It actually works that if you're farming with a view to, not necessarily a view to environmental outcomes, but certainly farming in a more ecological way, then it's just by virtue of that you're going to be better off economically. Farmers have a lot of pressure on them for these environmental outcomes, and you know obviously there's part of that which is maintaining our social license to farm, but if, if farmers have a change in practice incrementally, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but every little thing that we're doing on a yearly basis, slowly moving us towards a better ecological outcome, will result in a better economic return to the farmer. None of us like being told what to do and put people immediately on the back foot. Fear is a very big thing to overcome. Climate change also occurs between our ears as well, not just the broader environmental climate change that we're all familiar with. And I think that's sometimes the hardest thing is to actually change the, the climate between the ears, the way that we think about how we go about what we do. It's one thing for a farmer to learn new information. It's a very different thing and probably a more complex thing to actually take that information and put it into practice. I think as organisations, as private companies or the FBA as an organisation can really be there and just advocating and promoting, presenting opportunities, being a vehicle for supplying information and knowledge. You can be there at that step so that when farmers do have that moment, that they are aware that there's groups, organisations, companies and the like that may be potential sources of solutions to help them with the problem that they've identified. And I really think the true practice change to happen that it needs to be an individual's light bulb moment. It needs to be an individual who wakes up out in the field one day looking at their soil and going, hang on a minute, that's not how it used to look. Mm. What's going on? I think I need to find some information out and someone to help me with that. And that's why I think the roles of NRMs are so critical because they've got an immediate service that they can contact often at you know, either free or very low cost so that they can find out the you know, at least begin and start with, because the FBA, as an example, is always putting on these different events and workshops, seminars and the like that people can go on to either free of charge or very low cost. And I think that's all we can do as service providers, but ultimately it's the farmer in the field or looking at the spreadsheet with the gross margin and watching their cost production go up. Whatever the trigger is, I think that is a very personal thing. 
don't give up, keep working, and everything has its moment and time, and sometimes society can take time to change as well. That change also occurs within family units as well. That can then gently bring other people along, and any sort of change is quite scary, and that's completely understandable and justified. And so I think a really important part of that whole conversation is very important for it to be very gentle Mm. and not anyone to feel forced or coerced into doing anything, but really just presenting, you know, knowledge, information and all of the facts around um, what it is that they're wanting to change and how they would go about it, Mm. and then having a, a good discussion about a plan being put in place. I always feel that if, if a farmer wishes to change, at least start by changing one thing. Mm. And as long as that one thing is heading them in the direction that they're wanting to be heading, for better environmental, ecological or even social outcomes, then that's a step in the right direction. And once one thing's under control, then you can add the next layer of complexity. Without a doubt, I think if you're a farmer still farming today, mm. you're doing really well. But especially in today's current climate, this last 12 months, 18 months, mm. then, you know, I think all of those people need a pat on the back. I think agriculture is our best hope. I think agriculture is the answer. Coming back to my original training as a whole farm planner and that type of thing, the problem is the solution. Mm. So if everyone says that agriculture is the problem, and in some cases that may be in terms of the amount of soil carbon that has been lost out of our agricultural soil, mm. um, which again, is nobody's fault. Everyone is always doing the best that they can do with the information that they have. If the conversation around climate change is related to the amount of carbon dioxide that's in the atmosphere, and that being one of the key drivers to climate change, then agriculture is the only way to actually get that carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and into the ground. And obviously you can do that through trees, but not all of the the koalas and the gum leaves. Trees are an important part of the, the conversation, but building soil carbon In 2018, FBI established a peer-to-peer group for Fitzroy farmers interested in regenerative agriculture. The network is supported by the Enhanced Extension Coordination Program and funded by the Queensland Government's Reef Water Quality Program. 24 landholders joined the group and were mentored by Kim Cruz as they began regenerative agriculture trials on each of their properties. Included in the group were Miles and Julie Ballantyne of Namguri in Banana. We asked them what has changed on Namguri over the past 12 months. But first, Miles and Julie give a brief history of their farm. We're conventional dry land cropping farmers with chickpeas and mung beans are our main. Chickpeas are our main income over the last 20 odd years and wheat and sorghum have been sprinkled in between all of that and we also have beef cattle. We've moved from a breeding operation to a backgrounding operation. Uh, in 2015, we purchased the property from Miles's parents and prior to that we were in partnership with them and so we'd been doing that for 15 years together and then that's the start of us here. 
Since we've gone through succession successfully, we're able to um, really focus on our own vision and goals, so to speak. So what we really want to do is a, a low input operation that uh, regenerates the land as we, as we go and with that profit to, to raise as well, which is the underlying driving factor. Way back in around 2008 from memory, where the sorghum price was around $140 a tonne, and so we decided to stockpile it. We had about 1,000 tonnes in a bunker on farm, and very quickly the price rose, and from memory I think it went up to about $250 a tonne. And with that, urea went from $600 a tonne in a matter of months up to $1,200 a tonne. And that was the light bulb moment that everyone's trying to make a buck out of farming, not just the farmers. So we need to work out a way of making it low input to keep the profit. And it was just by chance that there was someone pulled up on the side of the road with a flat tyre, and it happened to be a lady by the name of Jen Gleason who worked for the DCCA, which is a sub-region at the time of FBA. And she started talking about a, uh, a fellow by the name of Peter Andrews, who'd been on Australian Story, and he was coming to Mara to speak. Uh, he couldn't make it on the day, but his, his right-hand man came and presented extremely well. And so that was focused more on the livestock side, but that was our first experience and interest to go into what is now known as regenerative farming. Miles certainly loves a new idea. Yeah. Uh, he's an early adopter. <laughs> um, but uh, Peter Andrews is a real scientist, so he was, for me, it was my first experience of listening to someone like him speaking about agriculture in such an in-depth, left-field way. And we just saw amazing changes from it. Sometimes I'm the handbrake, also known as let's just stop and think for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) The Peter Andrews stuff was um, a lot of education. However, then it uh, sort of moved into moving into the broadacre, moving into more of the tram lining, section control and the boom spray, the really nuts and bolts things, so you're not getting the overlap of your sprays, just being able to minimise your chemical input and not basically wasting it, which works great for the environment but also for your hip pocket. Yeah. Being able to... Precision farming is sensational. It's brought agriculture a long way. In 2017... In a winter situation, winter cropping situation, we grew a cover crop, which was uh, multi-species, about 12 different species in that particular crop. And it just grew phenomenally. It was quite a dry winter, but it just was this beautiful green lush paddock. Whenever people went to that paddock, their mood changed. It sounds a bit, <laughs> bit funny, but yes. they just loved it. Everybody loved it. You know, these precision ag guys who were very scientific and they'd go there, the big smiles, wow, this is amazing. So I just think that was a really encouraging moment, but also it's not just about what you're putting onto the soil in terms of spray or fertiliser, it's what you're putting in the soil, getting that diversity. Everyone loves to have a chat about what's that green stuff growing in that front, what are you going to do with that? I think the mood is definitely changing. People want there to be change. I think regenerative agriculture is definitely gaining momentum. People still think it's an odd thing to do when you're farming to make money off this crop that, I mean, you can certainly use it for livestock, but it's about putting back into the soil. So people still think 
they're not quite sure. They're a little bit on the fence about it, but they love the green colour. We have seen increases in yield, which is obviously that's the biggest motivator in terms of hip pocket motivation. And Miles did a bit of a trial. He loves a bit of a trial. (laughs) With uh, some cover crop and some rolling, the cover crop um, with the roller crimper, and then he did a strip where he sprayed it out. And the weed pressure in the strip that he had used chemical compared to where he had rolled it was very visibly different to the naked eye. You didn't need to do a soil test. There seemed to be a, a bit of a missing link and through FBA they have got Regen Ag, a, a small company who have brought um, traditional techniques from South America and bring them, brought them to Australia, primarily because those poor countries had to work out a way of not using fertiliser because they've got no money. And so they're bringing these techniques to Australia and uh, we're learning to make these bioferts and uh, soil stimulants to work in conjunction with the cover cropping. And so um, that's our, our next sort of trial phase that we're into at the moment. So so it, it's we're getting good results. You can physically see it in the paddock with where it's got it and where it doesn't have it, and it's very exciting. It gets discouraging at times, especially when it's not the mainstream and you don't have that support network like you do in the conventional sense where you go to... Yeah, grower meetings and, and everyone's doing a certain way in the Department of Ag, uh, yeah. saying this is the way it must be done and and you sort of, it feels a bit isolated at times. That That is changing now yeah. through groups like FBA have put together for the, our latest BioFert trial, which is, you know, uh, different people are doing it through through cropping uh, or we're cropping and there's dryland cropping and then there's um, another another project with irrigation and then there's livestock as well. And then some people are doing it leukina. So there's the diversity within the same structure, yeah. which is it's, it's great to see what they're doing and then take from that and give back to those guys as well. It would be sensational to have the soil moving in such a way that we're building now carbon levels and water holding capacity to be ever increasing and to have our weed pressure lower our chemical bill is still quite substantial, so a big goal of ours is to lower that considerably. And producing producing commodities that that are just a higher health, uh, nutrient dense food that we're really proud that we like to think is everyone likes to think they produce something special. Uh, I suppose we we just like to build on that and and just have it. Um, yeah, something that we can maybe even market sort of in some sort of premium sort of way. FBA have allowed us to, well, in this case, because it is so left of field and the company, we're the first dryland ag client of theirs. And so for us to pay for that ourselves is a big risk thinking because he hasn't got any runs on the board. Yeah. Um, and so with FBA taking, helping us do that, We've certainly had to do a lot of work and and also put our own skin in the game to make it work. FBA have taken the risk that allowed us to try something new, which is really what's needed in ag. It's anyone can do trials on stuff that's already proven. It's the stuff that's unproven. That's the exciting stuff. I think this project that we've done has been fantastic and FBA have given awesome support in the fact that there is a group 
of producers involved. And I think it wouldn't have worked as well without those monthly webinar chats that they've had. So they've been excellent. In the next episode of The Ripple Effect, we will hear from Australia's very own environmental cowboy, Corey Hancock, and FBA's own senior land management officer, Ellie Carter, in 2019 crowned the Reef Extension Champion of Queensland. Both individuals are achieving extraordinary things through actions which bring big-picture thinking to the paddock. 